G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Conversation With coronavirus dominating the headlines, Australia's disastrous bushfire summer has become, for some, even a distant memory. But for people who've lost loved ones, pets, livestock, homes and property, the tough road to recovery is still very much closer to the beginning than the end. Well, as the Bushfire Royal Commission is right now in full swing, a new book has been launched that carries gripping first-hand accounts of coming through Australia's worst bushfire season on record. The book is called When the Smoke Clears, Surviving the Australian Bushfires. Author Chrissy Ginnery launched her new book from Batemans Bay on the New South Wales south coast. Batemans Bay was one of the most heavily impacted regions in the 2019-20 bushfire season. And Chrissy is joining us to talk through the issues that she's raising in her book. Hello, Chrissy. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to talk to you, Chrissy. And, you know, you've been working pretty hard to get a book out in such a short time. And, you know, it's called When the Smoke Clears. Well, the smoke is clearing, but the smoke clearing has just given us insight into just how significant the recovery process is. So inspiration for your book. Let's start with that. Okay. So during the fires, Neil, um, there was... 11 of my 14 grandchildren and four of my five children and partners, my hubby and I, all within the fire zone. Wow. So during that time, communication was really difficult. Telstra Towers were going down, our power was out. There was uh, just almost impossible to be able to get through on regular calls. So when we did get reception, my phone would be just going off with people. Are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? So I started Facebook and Instagram posts just called family updates. And I'd attempt to cover the situation we were at each day that I could get any word through. And um, 50 Days Press, a Christian publishing house in Sydney, saw the posts and approached me and said, would you put those together into a book? And that's how it was birthed when the smoke was cleared, when the smoke clears was birthed through just um, first-hand accounts as we went through the trauma. You know, I had the privilege of visiting Batemans Bay and some of those communities like Cabago earlier this year and talking through issues and how people were coping with uh, coming through some start to recovery at the bushfire season. And what I know of Batemans Bay was there was a relentless, some people think of a bushfire, one bushfire. Well, there was bushfire after bushfire after bushfire, threatening communities on the south coast of New South Wales. And, and for you, uh, Chrissy, this, is, this, like was going, this was going on for months, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, Neil. There was about three months that 
our family were continuously either evacuated, sometimes evacuated from the evacuation centre or fleeing fire just in a rush and um, unfortunately the big, big out, out um, of control fire on New Year's Eve uh, did actually take my, one of my daughters home. Yes, this is the real challenge here. Sometimes we think that the victims of a bushfire are those who lost homes or a property or even a loved one, but there's so many more people affected by this because, as you say, you had so many of your family who were in bushfire zones that you were on edge for months because any one of them at any time could have become victim of bushfire. That's pretty stressful, isn't it? Oh, it was an extremely stressful time. I've got to admit, there were times when we truly thought it was the end of the world. I'm imagining people now, uh, when when the COVID-19 hype and fear and all that first began, it kind of felt like the end of the world. So I'm thinking people can relate after going through that. We're coming out the other end of COVID now, but at the beginning of it, it was this whole sense of, you know, is the world about to end? Well, it was like that on a daily basis. Just the skies would come over either dark red or completely black, and there was continuous embers falling. So there was, it was a, a mammoth effort to just, um, you know, soaring temperatures, crazy winds, just trying to put out spot fires and just stay alive you know, one hour at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time until, you know, we, we hoped there'd be an end. But we couldn't, we did not know the end. Every day felt like the end. Well, and this was continuing over three months. And mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about your book uh, taking us into the smoke drenched landscape of the south coast of New South Wales, Give us a little insight here to what it is like when you've got embers raining down on your house. And it's not just you, it's your neighbours and it's large communities, whole towns that are continually on edge and doing battle with ember attack. Give us a little insight into what that actually feels like. Well, to say we prayed 14 times a day is probably an understatement, Mm -hmm. Neil. There truly was uh, a lot of panic, particularly after the New Year's Eve fires took so many homes and and lives that there was um, continuous panic then because we knew things were out of control. We knew we didn't have the resources to deal with what was happening to us. And so people did start to uh, go into that frantic state. We saw people losing it, you know, um, it was it was so dramatic, you know. My my six year old grandson was in the middle of the fire. It um, uh, it they were trapped in their caravan, and my daughter said the caravan was like being inside a furnace. It was that hot, but you couldn't go outside because you couldn't breathe. They had to actually drive through the fire with trees and homes alight, and attempting to get back to their home. And by the time they got there, their home was um, at the end stage of, of burning burning out of, out of existence. And um, so we lost 79% of our land mass in the Yerubadala and we lost 501 homes. That is 
unbelievable and it's not the only community that was affected because there'll be listeners to our conversation today saying we were in the line of fire for bushfires as well and and I do want to open our talkback lines and I do want to invite listeners wherever you were listening uh, were at the time uh, to give us a call and you can participate in our conversation today so let me just say we'll open our Talkback line on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might have your own contribution to bring to this discussion today, uh, Chrissy. You mentioned all your grandchildren in the bushfires, all affected at one point or another. Your daughter's home actually was lost uh, when that was going on. Undoubtedly, you tried to maintain some contact, and as mum, no doubt you were trying to keep a little bit of family calm as well. But how did, how did that whole thing un, unfold? And uh, what was going through your family at that time, your daughter losing her home? And it was on New Year's Eve. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, Neil, I just thank God for God. I thank God that we are a family of faith. All my five children and my grandchildren, we we are all just, comfortable with prayer, with discussing our faith, with talking with God. My, all my children and partners are saved. And so I believe that that gave us a strength and it continuously instilled hope within us, even when it looked hopeless. So it was just a matter of, you know, praying to God to keep us safe, to keep the 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 um the humans alive it didn't matter if we had to lose vehicles or homes we could replace those you know it was that kind of feeling and so what would happen um three of our homes were in long beach and long beach was under threat over and over and over and so my daughter with five children had been evacuated three times and the kiddies were starting to just not even want to be at home so they all came to us. We've got a, a little, um, we call it the love shack, where we live, all wooden homes in the bush, you know. Yeah. And so my my children and the grandchildren would come here. We had my, my 82-year-old mother staying with us who came down for Christmas and got trapped here with us. All the roads around us were closed. We had no way to get um, out in any direction. The Princess Highway was closed. The King's Highway was closed. There was nowhere for us to go. We knew we were just trapped here and every day we just had to face whatever came until eventually we were evacuated to the coach house in the CBD of town and um, we were able to be together in, in little cottages there. So we were able to stay together at times but there was, I wasn't able to see my daughter after her home burnt down until the next day. Communication, I couldn't even speak with her. We were unable to communicate. My eldest daughter was lost in the fire to us. Uh, they tried to come to us, but the fires pushed them south, so they ended up having to go down and cross the river down at Maria. So they were 50k away. Uh, trapped on the other side and no communication. We didn't hear from them for another day. It was just all that unknown and just praying daily, God, just wherever we all are, just keep us safe, keep us safe until we can be together again. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Chrissy Ginnery. Chrissy is the author of a brand new book, When the Smoke Clears, Surviving the Australian Bushfires. And uh, you might like to join in our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to a question on our Facebook post today. Uh, so facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The question asks, do you think the victims of this year's bushfire disaster still need help to recover because as I said in my introduction to our conversation the whole of the bushfires seems to have disappeared out of the headlines because of the overwhelming coronavirus which of course is so important Uh, but those who have been in bushfire zones uh, may be feeling forgotten in this time and I wonder whether we might just touch on that for a moment here Chrissy because uh, you're there in Batemans Bay Uh, do people who've lost homes even lost family members lost property uh, do they feel as though because coronavirus has been on the headlines that somehow or other they're forgotten and and that the bushfires are all some something of the past? Neil, if you had have asked me that last week, I, I would have said yes. But I feel over this past week, as restrictions have lifted, we've actually seen trucks coming in. We've seen tradies come back ready to rebuild. We uh, will see from from next week, from today really, but next week's a long weekend. We're a tourist town. We were shut down from um, the end of November last year, so a lot longer than many uh, to tourists. So we, we almost had an opportunity to beg them to come back and then coronavirus drove them all away again. So, you know, we really are desperate for people to be coming and shopping and eating in our cafes and and helping um, helping our tiny little businesses to be able to get back on their feet. It seems almost impossible, but we know with God all things are possible. The other thing is we're seeing um, blocks begin to be cleared again. So my daughter's home that burnt down on the last day of last year has been looked at, but we are now six months on. And nothing has been done there. She has three small children under six and they are about to move for the sixth time. Wow. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Emma is in Maruya in New South Wales. Hi, Emma. Welcome along. Hi, how you doing? Good, Emma. What was uh, what's your contribution to our conversation today? Uh, you're down in bushfire territory as well. Yeah, yeah. I I must admit, just um, hearing you talk about everything, just like it feels like you're yeah reliving it almost. It, it was um, it was so full on um, in those few months. Um, I felt like yeah, with that lack of communication, like you were saying. Um, you know, I, I have four kids myself and my husband was working full time at the hospital and, um, and yeah, just listening to the radio all day, looking out the window all the time. And, um, I, I think one time the roads did open up and I, I managed to, um, go halfway to Sydney to stay with Rellos and, and, and then I came back and, and, um, our, our street did end up, um, yeah, getting, a few houses lost on it. Um, it earned, thankfully, it only went to our back fence at our place. But uh, um, just, uh, just some nights, you just didn't know if you could go to sleep. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
As you say, Emma, it brings back all those memories, uh, the way Chrissy is describing this. Chrissy, do you have a thought or two for Emma, who's called in? Yeah, that a, a large reason I wrote the book, um, Emma, was so that it could be a narrative of hope. So what I did, I I, um, I had counsellors on board, including Dr Rob Gordon, who's 35 years of um, fire trauma counselling. He's written in the book, uh, the RFS captain and the mayor. So what I did, I got those people who were in charge or in control while we all felt out of control and they've all contributed to the book and I've talked about the way we pulled together, the way the whole of Australia and, and some parts of the world came together to help us rebuild, to help us re-establish and so we've written it as a book of hope. We've said this is the raw and real of it, not the sensationalised media pictures that some people got but this is the raw and real of being in the middle of it this is where we're at now and this is our journey of recovery and it validates people's stories like yours let me just ask emma before we let you go emma you said when you arrived back into your street a number of your neighbors had lost their homes i wonder if you can give us a little insight into how their recovery is going are they are they getting back on their feet as as we've been saying tradies are coming back to work but uh, how are your neighbors doing um yeah look um before the coronavirus thing hit i definitely noticed like there was samaritans Perth down here and they were um trying to clear people's places and um yeah there was people working on um all the fences and that but just in the last week like um like Chrissy was saying, there has been um, people doing a little bit more clearing, but um, but yeah, there's still you know there's still obviously only the foundations of the house. There's still you know for some people um, you know some people had to move and find somewhere else, and yeah, so yeah, I don't, some people don't have their home back. Obviously, yeah, well, it's too short a time to build those <laughs> those homes don't appear back miraculously. Uh, they do take time and. It takes mm-hmm. tradespeople available to be involved in building processes. And, and you know, one yeah. of the things I picked up, and uh, I, I think uh, you mentioned uh, Samaritan's Purse, or was that uh, uh, Chrissy mentioned Samaritan's Purse? Uh, I was down there with them. And, and uh, one of the things that I picked up when I was discussing these issues around the bushfires was that not everybody's great at filling in a whole lot of paperwork. And uh, the paperwork required to, or the red red tape that you've got to get through to... To, uh, to gain that government assistance, not always easy. So uh, so people are pro- pro- progressing at a different rate here. So uh, your neighbours, they've just got, there's, there's still no building activity, Emma, but, uh, but no doubt some time coming uh, that there will be some activity and that'll be a bit of a day of yeah. celebration, won't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, Emma, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. I just pick up on that with you for a moment, Chrissy. Uh, the idea of you know getting the right assistance to get things started and get things underway. Uh, not everybody's great with all that paperwork. Do you, do you know if uh, those that you've been in touch with, your own family, have they had any challenges with that? Oh, definitely, Neil. When it all began, because we were thrown into such a crisis, and of course. Some people, they lost everything. Um, My daughter's written a couple of the chapters in the book uh, because they were camping in their caravan, so they had none of their paperwork. 
So for them to be able to get assistance, they first had to attempt to prove who they were, what their address was. They were frantically trying. And, of course, all the businesses here were closed down. Everything was over the phone. Of course, the phone lines were down. We had towers down. Even just trying to establish who they were to begin the process. And then after a few weeks, there was a centre set up, a resource centre set up, and um, my daughter and her husband, with their baby in arms, went in there every day, probably for at least two weeks daily, just sitting in the queue with your number, attempting to speak to the right person to sometimes just receive $1,000 just to get them through. And um, it was only this week, would you believe, Neil, that... Uh, they found out about some funding. This is six months later, as it was either Red Cross or one of those one of those charities that received a lot of money that that's actually being found to be still sitting on a lot of that public money, and um, some of that was only released to them on Friday. Wow. Okay. All these months later. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from another caller, Richard, from Alstonville in northern New South Wales. Richard, welcome along. Uh, G'day. Um, I I just wanted to say, um, just listening to uh, uh, your conversation, sorry, I've forgotten your name. I'm Neil, and Chrissy is uh, is our guest this hour. Yeah, Chrissy. um, uh, uh, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You went, when the bushfires are on, you got like t- two different um, fronts from like different sides of media and stuff. But but it was actually interesting and um, like inspiring from a god point of view to hear about all the um, the the Christian Christian groups and and Red Cross and stuff like that, that were doing their thing because you got very bombarded from the Greens and and the right side of media and that. And I and I was just. From a Christian point of view, it was good to get a witness for, to hear like Samaritan's person, the practical work and stuff they were doing on the ground. You know, it was amazing what they did. And uh, while I think it would be an exaggeration to say that all of the churches were out in force, and I'll get your thoughts here, Chrissy, uh, at, at what Samaritan's person, their uh, disaster unit was doing on site was drawing attention so that Christians could be mobilised into the bushfire recovery process. But uh, good thoughts there, Richard. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Chrissy, for, for Richard? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Look, honestly, when Samaritan's Purse come in, we were just cheering. And, of course, on Sundays, those volunteers, they came from all over the world to help. They would come to our churches and they'd, they'd frequent to all our different churches and every two weeks a new lot would come until, of course, COVID and they all had to go home. But while they were here, they were just serving our community And what they were doing, as they were serving on the blocks alongside the people, and you'll read about this in When the Smoke Clears, one of the the gentlemen I've interviewed, uh, Samaritan's Purse, came to help. But they also hugged. They also left him a Bible. They also brought comfort, offered counselling. You know, it it was practical and it was spiritual. It was emotional. It was just healing all round. Just beautiful. And what happened with the churches, all of Australia wanted to be able to give and many Christians were wary about where they gave. So our church opened, um, we already had an arm for recovery, open a charity charity tax-deductible arm 
of our giving within our church, uh, Southland Church. It's called Beyond. And so people were, were saying, we want to put money into that account because we know you're there on the front line and it'll go to the people. So I have a chapter in When the Smoke Clears of our pastor speaking for that chapter of where he took money and what that money was used for in each household. Well, okay, we're about to go to news. Uh, there's lots more to talk about along those lines. Uh, and there's a lot. And Chrissy, just before we move on, let's come back to some recovery efforts right now because uh, when coronavirus hit, one, one of the things that everybody was saying was uh, that tourism needs to return to the south coast of New South Wales and all of a sudden it was turn around and go back. Tourism's not welcome on the south coast of New South Wales. But now some lockdown issues have been resolved and there's some lifting of restrictions. Tradies are coming back to work. Tourism is now allowed back. These things are a real part of the recovery, aren't they? Oh, definitely, Neil. One of the things we noticed, and uh, the RFS captain Ian Aitken here put on the front of the book, that this book is a narrative of hope. People are helping people, conscious now of what really matters, is his quote. And what was happening after the main fires came through, because we had waves of them over a period of months, after those main fires come through and we were left shattered, what was happening was that people were, were sharing and and just giving of everything they had. It didn't matter what was in their home. They were halving it and giving it to someone else. There was just caring everywhere, people helping people. Um, right when it seemed it could have become our new way of life that Bateman's Bay was going to positively shine as an example around the world of Christian love and togetherness and miraculous healing power. COVID-19 came and, and it felt like a kick in the guts for us because we were separated again. We were locked behind closed doors and we had to attempt to recover alone and isolated. And of course, our volunteers, tradies and tourists all left. So it's only now that there's this collective empathy toward one another being able to be shared again. Now we can go and have a cuppa together and share our stories or a beer for the boys, you know, and, and share their stories, which are essential elements to community because I believe we're created to be a community from the beginning. Like right from the Garden of Eden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, we need one another and to get through trauma you know, it's by leaning on one another, helping one another, reaching out with one hand to give and one hand to receive so that all of us, you know, for the common good can rise up together. And I'm really excited that that can recommence again for our broken community. Now, an interesting aspect of the image that's created in our mind uh, in bushfire communities and uh, around your region there in southern New South Wales, uh, Batemans Bay, and as you say, something like 500 homes lost in your area and thousands of homes and properties at different places around the nation. Uh, but the idea, the image that comes into our minds is that, oh, I better not go on holidays uh, to Batemans Bay or some of those areas because I've heard that all of the, ho the houses have burnt down. But the the way that houses burnt, it was, it was very uh, spasmodic in the sense of there are thousands and thousands of homes and some were taken and some were left. 
by far the majority were still there. It's not like you shouldn't plan your holiday to southern New South Wales. This is actually a really good time uh, because not only uh, are, are there plenty of uh, resorts and opportunities there to really give a kickstart to the economy there in southern New South Wales, uh, but, uh, but there's plenty of great infrastructure that, that has survived and it is still a great place for a holiday. What are your thoughts? What are the, what's the image that, that people talk to you about, Chrissy? Yeah, that's right, Neil. It's a real holiday resort place. We do have beautiful um, resorts. One, the Coach House, was used as an evacuation centre and it's just gorgeous. It's right on the water. Uh, Of course, while we were there, there was helicopters scooping up, um, you know, with their water bombs to tend to fires while we were there. But now it's just beautiful. And, of course, we've got... We've got Birdland here, we've got our um, wildlife sanctuary, we've got Mogo Zoo, little little uh, Mogo town where half of it was ravaged and what's left are just gorgeous little shops and, and um, assisting them and helping them is just a blessing and it's really quaint, it's got that really cute little feel of those country towns and there's so much going on here you know we're really excited to be reopening our doors and having people come the cafes that have had to uh, be closed for so long some of them have used it as an opportunity to to jazz it up a bit so you're coming back to a lot of fresh new pretty things great Hey, I want to just invite listeners. You might be in a community, could be not just south coast of New South Wales. There were lots of affected areas right along the east coast and over to the west as well. It was a dreadful bushfire season everywhere. You might have your own thoughts and you might be thinking, hey, I wonder if we can get the name of our town on the radio for people to be encouraged to go and visit and have a holiday. So give us a call on 1-800-316-316. Love to hear from you if uh, you're open for business in your community. If you were under the real threat of bushfire activity and and all of a sudden you got a bit of uh, lifting restrictions from coronavirus, give us a call, 1-800-316-316. Love to mention your town too. Christy, let me come back to some serious stuff here. Uh, the way children are affected when they've gone through the bushfire disaster You've mentioned all those beautiful grandchildren of yours and uh, no doubt as grandma you'll have a special uh, focus on their well-being but how do you think children have come through all of this? Uh, They're going to be bright and shiny or are there some special things here that might need some attention? Well, after the fires there was obviously um, an excess amount of counselling made available to families uh, the, all the teachers were were counselled on how to deal with the trauma as the children were coming back to school. So now I've just noticed that, that there's been more counselling available and, of course, online counselling for people and churches. Um, you know, my, my son-in-love and my, my daughter are pastors here and they've done lots of training during this time so that they can help. But the children, the children speak from the heart, Neil. They say it the way it is. And some of them have been so traumatised, the parents couldn't express what we went through. So they don't have the words to be able to express what they went through. And so one of um, my grandchildren has uh, started a stutter. So she's getting help for that. 
Another one of my grandchildren has been in counselling. Definitely the children were, were affected. We, we saw children right in the middle of fire zones. Some fought to save their homes and then watched them burn down. Some watched a fire go over their head. A few children have, have um, been given voice within the in the book. So, But truly the, the kiddies need to be able to express it in a way that feels safe to them. So a lot of them are doing drawings or doing writing. I do writing workshops even for um, the children so that they can they can express it in a way that they feel safe and they've been able to articulate what words wouldn't be able to say for them. Yes, amazing because children react to things in different ways and I imagine that a lot of parents, when their children have gone through the whole evacuation process, uh, uh, the terror of the bushfires uh, may even have issues uh, being able to get to sleep and uh, dreams and nightmares and those sorts of things too. Uh, children are infected in all sorts of different ways and, and counselling is useful. Uh, and this idea of, as you say, learning how to write their own story, there's something therapeutic in that, isn't there? So uh, so no yeah. doubt parents will need to be onto that uh, over the coming times, uh, just making sure that their children have a good frame of mind and able to process those things that they've seen that they ought not to have ever experienced. But uh, but children, uh, they, they can bounce back though, can't they? They're very resilient, very resilient. We actually learnt a few lessons from them. We were watching the way they played. There was one incident when we were at the coach house and everyone was watching the fire because we could see it across the water and, and we were imagining that it was about to jump the highway and take out Long Beach, where a lot of us were from. And the children were playing a game where... Um, one of my grandkids was the Esky uh, driver and she was delivering ice to households because we had no power. We had no fridges. We had no way of keeping food safe. And so they, they saw how precious a commodity that ice was and they'd created this little pretend game while everyone else was stressing. They were just using game to, you know, release their tensions. And to them, they were delivering ice, so they'd found a solution. It was really cute the way that they can do things like that. You know, as I reflect on my visit to bushfire-affected communities around your area in Batemans Bay earlier this year, uh, we were connected there with the Anglican Church uh, that was across the road from the Samaritan's Purse Disaster Response Unit. And uh, I remember walking into the Anglican Church there and uh, the smell of smoke, uh, which was still lingering in the building because smoke gets into everything, doesn't it? Uh, the smoke in mm -hmm. the carpets, the smoke on the walls, like smoke everywhere and you can smell the bushfire smoke. Uh, I wonder whether you've got any reflection on those things that trigger your memories because no doubt a lot of places you go, you'll still smell the smell of the bushfire. It's very hard to get out of your home. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's just become time where people are allowed to burn off now. And so a lot of the properties are burning off. And as you drive along, you're seeing smoke curling up from the bush, you know, from a distance. And even um, just recently, some girls were gathered and we heard a siren and everybody just stopped 
and one one woman just went fire. Mm. Like it wasn't a fire, and the siren may have just been a policeman pulling someone over on the road. We don't know, but yeah, definite triggers, definite triggers all the time and we have to constantly be encouraging our children to go outside and walk barefoot on the grass and feel that the grass is wet so they know it's safe now because our grass was so, it was burnt to a crisp and it was so hot and the kids, you know, relate so many different little things to fire that we've got to keep reassuring them. See, the grass is wet now, it's safe. It's safe to go outside and play. And when a plane comes over, little children, they love to point, oh, plane, plane. But our children are like a plane. That means they're carrying a water bomb and they're trying to put out a fire. So it's re-establishing the, the old normal that used to be where some things were just natural and easy or fun that turned into um, triggers for our trauma. Like old soldiers returning from war, shell-shocked. And these days, of course, we call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think you can get that in different waves, different dimensions, and and certainly going through bushfire disaster, those sorts of triggers that uh, that actually uh, start that fear process. And as you say, you know, you hear a plane go over, you think it's a water-bombing aircraft. Uh, the smell of smoke it puts you on edge. I imagine, and I just, just to touch on something that goes fairly deep here, uh, the idea that when we who were not in the bushfire zones give a few dollars towards an appeal, we think that the dollars, the money that we're giving is somehow rather the answer. But there are lots of dimensions where the money is important, but there are lots of dimensions here that are the effects of bushfire that go far beyond the materialistic idea of uh, giving a few dollars and feeling good about that. Uh, the process of recovery takes time, and a lot of that will happen internally within local communities. What are your thoughts about recovery and the internal nature of the fact that that communities are going to have to really continue to rally together and to bring about a real healing. What are your thoughts here, Chrissy? Yeah, definitely. I believe without the love and miraculous healing of God that some won't have the strength to rise. This has been six months of trauma. Uh, it's a desperate and, and crucial time for communities that have gone through fire. Then we had flood and then the the virus and so those of us who carry God's love you know any way we can find to shower it with glittering waterfalls all over people is a positive thing you know counsellors and and even just validating people's story listening um, having that community spirit and and allowing communication without judgment you know we're, we're all one you know we just want to all our hearts to beat with that rhythm of hope again. But definitely the money has um, has helped as well, Neil, no doubt. Most of us would not have been able to go on without contributions that came in. Those who lost homes, you know, um, even those without losing homes, there was another thousands of properties lost, you know, with animals and with sheds and you know, your kayak, your motorbike, your push bike, your car, like just so many things gone, surfboards and tools for all the tradies, you know, they were all 
all gone. And so when people have come in and offered clothing and and tools and you know any money that can contribute towards those things, that certainly helped the recovery efforts. And by far, this town. And some of the other towns aren't at a place where they don't still need that help. Yes, obviously the money is absolutely an essential. And uh, But to touch on those other issues, as you say, uh, there is something special that comes with having faith in Christ. Having faith brings hope. And if your trust has only been in those material possessions and you have not had a faith dimension, you find it much, much harder because when your identity is in Christ and you have a higher hope, uh, there's something that gives you strength to be able to carry on, strength to be able to start again. This hope is such a powerful thing, Chrissy. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, uh, one of the scriptures that carried us right through was Psalm uh, 91. And Psalm 91 had been brought up in November and one of the girls in the book, her name's Robin, she read it in the Passion Translation and we all just fell in love with it. And of course, um, so, uh, through the book, I talk about a group of women. We all went through the fires in different regions and so we stayed in contact through a messenger page, just a friend's page. And uh, Psalm 91 come up continuously and it was interesting that on the very first church service of 2020, we held a church service in the foyer of the church in the dark, without power, without anything. We just had acoustic guitars. We met in the dark. We had communion together. And the pastor read Psalm 91. And it's, it's, um, it's the final words in When the Smoke Clears because it's, having a faith in God, having something to cling to, having a hope that he's bigger than all of this. He's, he's no lesser God because we're in a crisis. He's, a, he's in it with us and he already knows the end. And so we were able to, particularly immediately after the fires, we were able to put our, our faith online, so to speak, and we went around helping in practical ways, serving and feeding fireys and washing up and and uh, making a uh, makeshift relief centre and delivering food to fire victims, just anything that we could do in small ways. But uh, you know the most powerful two things we did? Mm, what's Pray that? Pray yep. and hug. Pray and hug. I know we're not allowed to hug at the moment, <laughs> but they were the two most powerful tools that we carried. Beyond all the food and clothes and everything else, it was prayer and hugs that got so many through. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, our time is running out. Just just to mention that the Bushfire Royal Commission is on right now. Uh, it's in full swing and uh, there would be hopes that there would be some good things that will come out of lessons learned. And uh, I know that when you've been able to put your thoughts down in your book, When the Smoke Clears, Surviving the Australian Bushfires, there's a whole lot of dimensions that won't be discussed in a Royal Commission, but will be important for families as they go through their own recovery process. And it will be useful because when people want to hear a, 
a story of how it really happened. Uh, This is one we can recommend. When the Smoke Clears, Surviving the Australian Bushfires, the author is Chrissy Ginnery. How do you spell Chrissy's surname? G-U-I-N-E-R-Y. It's a book that's published by 50 Days Press. 50 Days Press. Uh, $22.95, the recommended retail price. You might like to get a hold of it and support Certainly, Chrissy, in her efforts, as she's gotten her story out there, it's 195 pages in the paperback. Uh, Chrissy, it's is there a particular website you'd like to point people to, or uh, available from various bookstores? You can get it straight from chrissyginnery.com, so you can get it straight off me or Fifty Days Press. It's also available at Coorong. And a lot of local stores in Ulladulla and Batemans Bay have taken it on because they were fire affected. And as the tourists come back, we're hoping the tourists will purchase the book because a percentage of the book also goes to fire victims in our area. Okay. And so let me just harken back. Keep an eye out for Chrissy's book when you're having a holiday. In southern New South Wales, and uh, we're talking about Batemans Bay, and uh, thank you so much to those callers uh, from Maruya and the one from Alstonville, northern New South Wales as well. And, of course, there are bushfire communities right around Australia. But keep your eye out. Uh, published by 50 Days Press. You can get it from 50 Days Press also. But go to Chrissy's site, chrissyginnery.com or you can get a hold of the book at Coorong. Chrissy, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks so much for having me, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.